Beltone Hearing Aid Center presents The Drive. Ready, fight! The Drive. Elmore deep, left side, three, it's good! From 30 feet, John Elmore! The Drive with Paul Swan. Welcome into the Thursday, September 27th edition, presented by Beltone Hearing Aid Center. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk to Chad Bishop from WBKO Television. He's going to help us preview Marshall's game with Western Kentucky on Saturday. Also, I'm going to have some player interviews from players at Marshall University Day yesterday, uh, start of practice. But um, before we start the program, and uh, coming up here in the next couple minutes, we've got Joe Bartle from uh, rotowire.com to help us start the program. I've got some sad news today. Um, Marshall Thundering Herd quarterback legend Michael Payton passed away today. He was 48 years old. He uh, was battling cancer, had a a good fight with it, but unfortunately um, he is no longer with us. Now the uh, statement from Marshall University uh, Athletic Director Mike Hamrick on his passing today, uh, Mike said that our thoughts and prayers go out to the family and friends of Thundering Herd great Michael Payton an All-American and a member of Marshall. Um, he um, he was one of the, the greats at Marshall University. Just to, to put in context, led the Thundering Herd to its first ever Division I AA championship in 1992, also a winner of the Walter Payton Award that same year. In that year, uh, he threw for 3,610 yards, 31 touchdowns, uh, he was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 2015, and um, he was also inducted into the Marshall Hall of Fame uh, back in 1999. So uh, and he was a guy who's uh, always around. So you uh, you saw him uh, at Marshall games, and um, he definitely is going to be missed. So our, our condolences uh, to his family and uh, his friends. And uh, me personally, um, I was more of an acquaintance of Michael's, but uh, he was uh, – he was at WMUL where I came up, so uh, I have some fun memories of him. Might share those a little bit later on with you, but uh, we want to uh, continue with the show. And uh, later on, we're going to hear from uh, one of uh, my good friends, also uh, a teammate of his from the One Double A days, uh, Jason Toys, going to join me here a little bit. But uh, first and foremost, we want to welcome to the program now from RotoWire.com and RotoWire Magazine, Joe Bartle. Joe, always good to talk to you. It's uh, Thursday night, so that means it's time once again to get our fantasy football lineups in order. And for a lot of people, uh, at this point of the football season, there's a lot of people probably just want to give up. So uh, you're here to help us salvage that season or start to make that championship run. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing all right. I'll be honest. There's a couple of 0-3 teams that I have currently in my fantasy leagues where I'm just about at the wit's end here, and that even happens as a professional where – you're just about ready to give up on some of these teams. So fear not. We'll power through. We'll try to win week by week. And frankly, when you're in those kind of situations, that's about the only option you have. Just take it week by week. Now, fantasy football is hard is what you're telling me. You're you're one of the best. You're Rotowire, and still it's hard. So this isn't just this isn't a game for the faint of heart sometimes. No, and you know, it's it's based a lot on luck and, and circumstances. Who who in their right mind would have guessed the outcome of the Bills versus Vikings game last week? I mean, that was a situation where, oh, Delvin Cook is out. Let's pick up Latavius Murray and, and roll with him, and he should be getting 80 rushing yards and at least a touchdown because God knows the Vikings are going to be ahead by two touchdowns at least by the end of the first half. And, of course, it didn't happen. And that was really all of week three. It felt like every other upset team 
was out there winning a pivotal game. And that, again, it's just you can't predict the NFL as much as you can try. If you could, there'd be a lot more people making money on gambling games and, and whatever else too. So you just kind of have to go week by week and, and guess which matchups might be the best for your team. So looking at the the week that was before we get into this week, uh, what was the probably the most surprising thing you saw that maybe doomed a few teams or maybe pushed a few teams ahead to victory? Oh, I think I think it had to be the Vikings Bills game, save for the Survivor Series and the, you know everyone's losing their Eliminator pick most likely. I mean, I'm in a Rotowire Eliminator pick, and we had 60 percent of our league just drop out because they all picked the Vikings over the Bills, and that isn't so much the Vikings were supposed to be that good, although they were. It was that the Bills were supposed to be that bad, and they've been that bad for most of the season. And along with the Cardinals, those have been at least the two teams I've identified as the worst ones in the NFL. And yet, here they were, up 24 nothing against the Vikings team that has aspirations of the Super Bowl, and, and they never really were able to respond. That was, I think, the offensive line of the Vikings was troubling, and it's something that a lot of people knew, but I don't think we knew to that extent. And frankly, it was the Bills realizing they don't want to get embarrassed anymore. That's that's to me what it seemed like, but they just came to play. And there's going to be situations like that throughout the rest of the season, too, where you just don't know which teams really are having it that week and which ones aren't. And unfortunately for us, and especially in the fantasy industry, where we're kind of predicting and guessing and uh, trying to analyze and expect what's going to happen, it, it just doesn't sometimes, like the Vikings. And as a Packers fan, I'm happy about that. That was, that was about the only solace that I had after a spanking by the Redskins last week. But, again, it's it's just how, well, it's just how the NFL works sometimes. But that's the beauty of it as well. It's uh, it's what makes it fun. Sure, if yeah. you're a Vikings fan or if you had them in an eliminator, you're not feeling good right now. But as far as just uh, pure entertainment value, do you feel like this season it's been a little bit more entertaining top to bottom? Yeah, I, I do. I well, so I get frustrated with the rule set. Uh, I'm still I'm still trying to figure out, along with just about every other defensive player in the NFL, what constitutes a sack and how to tackle a quarterback. Uh, I, just to me, that's that's frustrating and it's hurting what has really otherwise been a great couple of weeks. I think last two seasons prior, there's been just weird, fluky stuff and injuries that have clouded the season and and really have wrecked it, in my opinion, in the last two years. And that hasn't happened so far through three weeks of the, of the 2018 season. And that's great. Like, there's been a lot of great football to watch, and even surprise teams are supposed to be bad, like the Bills, uh, have been able to get, kind of stay relevant and be able to handle themselves. And look at that Cardinals-Bears game that was in the afternoon last week. That was still a game where the Cardinals probably should have won, too. And they're, again, supposed to be one of the worst teams. So the parity is ever-present this season. But the one the one part that's frustrating me is the sacks and Maybe that's just as a Packers fan, I'm, I'm tired of dealing with Clay Matthews uh, stuff. But, you know, that if that's the only problem that we have in the NFL, I think I'll take it after these last few years that were uh, pretty difficult to kind of stomach, I think, at times. Joining us from Roto-Wire and Roto-Wire Magazine is uh, our fantasy football expert, Joe Bartle. And now we're on to a new week. We've got Thursday Night Football kicking it off, and then we get into uh, the season itself uh full swing on Sunday. So if I'm looking around, I'm trying to maybe, all right, I'm going to make some last-minute adjustments. I'm going to try to pick up a couple of players here or there. Uh, where am I looking? Where am I going to try to find that next great undiscovered or hidden gem? I think Tyler Boyd, your, your boy, Tyler Boyd, is uh, going to be one of the hottest pickups in maybe not, not the season so far, but for a wide receiver spot that lacks a lot of upside in free agency pools most times, depending if you're in a 10- or 12-team league, 
Tyler Boyd is going to be able to give that for you. I mean, this is the I think there was only five receivers all of last season that caught sixty passes, or I'm sorry, sixty pass, six receptions, ninety yards, and a touchdown, and that happened for Tyler Boyd in consecutive weeks uh, last year. I should, I should correct myself. That feat only happened by five other receivers last year. Not that five receivers only were able to manage that. Let's let's <laughs> chill pill a little bit there. But yeah, Tyler Boyd is a guy I think that is a fantastic option, particularly this week against the Falcons defense that has just been riddled by injuries. We know what happened last week against the Saints. That was an offensive explosion from both sides of the ball. I expect the same thing to happen this week. I think Tyler Boyd is going to be a guy that, if you're looking at a wide receiver three spot, maybe a flex spot, especially in PPR leagues, I feel confident he looks great running out of the slot, and frankly, he might be one of the uh, more high upside plays in that entire matchup, and I know there's A.J. Green and Julio Jones on both sides of the ball, but I really like Tyler Boyd, and I think he'll do well this week. Speaking of the Bengals, since uh, you brought it up, I've got Joe Mixon, <laughs> or I don't have Joe Mixon. Um, what are you looking at far as maybe getting him back into the rotation? Is he still someone you're sitting on, or is he someone that uh, you shouldn't even be thinking about until he's actually on the field? Yeah, I'm anticipating that uh, Joe Mixon will be out this week. I haven't really heard much from uh, – from the, I mean, he was practicing, but not not to the extent where I think he's going to hit the field. So it's more like a Giovanni Bernard game. And frankly, we have to kind of monitor Giovanni Bernard's status. He was a limited participant in practice on Thursday, uh, and he was limited Wednesday and Thursday. I think he'll end up playing. I, w- I would be a little bit concerned. Maybe it's a Mark Walton kind of contest if, if Giovanni Bernard is out in a DFS format. I think Mark Walton actually makes a lot of sense to use if we know Bernard is out, but I don't think he's going to be out. And if he's playing, he has to be a guy that you're starting in your lineup right now. There's a reason he drafted Bernard, and it's for a situation like this that if Mixon were out, Bernard is not just the PPR threat, but also the rushing threat, too. So to me, he's an automatic start if he's available on active Sunday. Joining us on the program from RotoWire.com and RotoWire Magazine's Joe Bartle. So, as far as um, who's weighing my lineup down, who am I looking at as far as, all right, if you got him, you might want to consider going elsewhere? How about Ryan Fitzpatrick? He's been Fitzmagic so far this year, and frankly, one of the best fantasy quarterbacks out there, which nobody would have expected through the three weeks that he's been starting. I think Fitzpatrick is going to get the start against the Bears this week. You know, Jameis Winston is coming back. So first you have to monitor that. If Winston does get named the starter, obviously you want to pivot away from Fitzpatrick. But if he's out there, he's going against the Bears defense that, in my mind, it's going to be top three defense by the end of the year. Whether or not Khalil Mack can continue this pace remains to be seen. I don't think he can because it's just beyond historic at this point. But overall, that defense is really good. I'm concerned that Fitzpatrick's going to make mistakes, particularly interceptions. When he's pressured, he really has struggled this season. We saw that in that Monday night game against the Steelers, that pick six. As a situation, is a tip ball, but he probably shouldn't have thrown that in the first place. And that's kind of the downside that you get with a guy like Fitzpatrick. Deshaun Jackson and Chris Godwin are receivers I'd stay away from completely. Mike Evans is impervious to matchups, in my opinion. I continue using him all season. As I think whether it's Winston or Fitzpatrick, they'll be tossing him the ball. But there's probably better quarterbacks that you could start this week, given Fitzpatrick was likely a free agent pickup. Let's look at tonight's matchup for those who have Thursday night players. Uh, anybody uh, on this uh, on this matchup you're looking at thinking, okay, I need to start them, or maybe I should just hold off and, and see what my Sunday matchups look like? These are two great defenses in the Rams and the Vikings, and frankly there's not a lot of skill position players that you want to start, but there's a lot of skill position players that you probably have to start. Todd Gurley was number one pick. Delvin Cook, if he's active, was number one pick. 
Stephon Diggs, Adam Steele, and Brandon Cooks were all going in that second, third, fourth round to the wide receiver spot. It's going to be a difficult time, I think, generating any sort of points. I'm expecting this to be a low-scoring game, maybe like 24-20 kind of deal. It depends a lot on how that Rams secondary unfolds. Of course, they had that battle the L.A. match against the Chargers last week, and both Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib went down with injuries. I don't know if their status is going to be, able, be available for it. It kind of sounds like a game-time decision for at least Tlaib, if not Peters. That maybe affects Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, but that pass rush is really, really good for the Rams. And we saw what happened to the pass rush against the Bills in the Vikings game last week. It, it's going to be difficult. I think Adam Thielen is going to get his eight catches, 80 yards, that he always does. Stephon Diggs might sneak into the end zone, and frankly, that's all you're looking for. But I'm not confident starting any one of these guys expecting massive points. This is just going to be a dogfight between two of the top teams in the NFC. We don't like that in fantasy. We like points. We like scoring. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. Unfortunately, I don't think we're getting that this Thursday. But there's plenty of matchups uh, on the Sunday slate of things that, while they might not be great to watch, they'll be great for fantasy purposes. That's the we, we that's the point of fantasy. We're watching a matchup we don't care about because we need points. <laughs> that's, that's really true. That's exactly why we'll be watching the Packers-Bills game or even maybe something like the uh, Texans-Colts games. We're not really interested in... The Texans most. I think the Colts are kind of a, a good team this year. Texans really aren't, but that's another game where T.Y. Hilton, Will Fuller, DeAndre Hopkins, even a guy like Lamar Miller probably should and will go off. That's that's going to be an entertaining offensive explosion uh, for two teams that are still trying to figure themselves out defensively. Be honest, you've uh, you've set up your DirecTV uh, fantasy tracker, right? The stuff pops up on your screen. You know you have. Oh, yeah, and I, I also have my ESPN app pulled up where it notifies me of every score, and then I can see, oh, who scored and kind of, and helps check my lineups too. It's it's a good setup we got going on. That's that's why the the mothership, the headquarters here, uh, is a fun place to be on Sundays. Yeah, it must be. Lo- it's terrible, you know. Get to watch football all day on Sunday for free. Yeah, it's, it's the worst. <laughs> Can't stand it. You know, just show up to work. What'd you do today, honey? Uh, just watch football. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, yep. Just had to get and then my good to six to eight hours of football and on on Sundays. It's it's, it's such a darn. Uh, you know, it's, it's just it, it's difficult life. That's what I have to say. And then I have to talk with you guys. Yeah, no. on Thursdays, and you know, uh, it's 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 really difficult. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, talking to us. That that probably you could say, yeah, that, that's terrible. We got got to talk to those guys. <laughs> no, no, we can't do that. No, we would we would never do that. We look forward to these Thursday talks. Great. I have to I have to help out the water cooler over at the office and uh, have their fancy questions answered. That's what I look forward to. Joe Bartles joining us from RotoWire and RotoWire Magazine. And of course, I need to remind folks uh, before Joe goes that if you need his help, uh, all you have to do is uh, go to RotoWire.com and you can sign up. They get a, a 10 day free trial. You can find out how much help he can give you. And then more than likely, you're going to stick around because, well, this is what Joe does all day. He, he helps people with their fantasy life. Yes, exactly. And you can also tweet at me at JB Fantasy Sports. I have a Another guy, Bill, the FedEx guy, who I'll, I'll give him a shout-out here. He always tweets me at least two or three questions every week, and I generally try to steer him in the right direction, except for when we're facing each other in our own fantasy league. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd be glad to help out anybody. That's, that's kind of what it is, just opinions, gather, gathering as many opinions as you can about what matches might unfold and, and how things might go, and that's and you get to make your own decision. That's the, the beauty of fantasy sports. That uh, There's plenty of people I'd be willing to give you advice, but really only you can sink or swim your team. I like that how you uh, you 
you accept the fact that people are depending on you, but at the same time, you take no responsibility. That's excellent salesmanship. <laughs> it's, it's perfect, right? It's I love perfect. that. I've had a couple years of practice with this. It's like, look, I can tell you, but I mean, it's up to you. I mean, you, you can listen to yeah. me. Oh, it's up to you. I like it. Joe Bartle joining us, RotoWire and RotoWire Magazine. We'll talk to Joe again next week. Uh, have fun with that terrible Sunday you've got planned. Man, I, I can't stand uh, thinking about how terrible it is for you. Yeah, I'll be slugging away at the office, unfortunately, and we'll, we'll see if we can make it through another day, another week of watching football on Sundays. Yeah. Darn. Darn, I understand. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Good talking to you. We'll do it again next week. Sounds great. That's Joe Bartle, rotowire.com, rotowire magazine. When we come back from break, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Marshall and Western Kentucky. That game coming up on Saturday and joining us on the program next to help us out to do uh, a little preview. I mean, what do you need to know? Marshall, Western Kentucky, right? That's all you need to know. No, you need more details. Chad Bishop's joining us, WBKO Television, when we continue here on The Drive, ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Welcome back to this edition of The Drive on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. I'm your host, Paul Swan, and here in a moment we're going to be talking to Chad Bishop from WBKO Television to get us caught up on what's happening on the Western Kentucky side. Uh, I do want to remind you, coming up later on this evening, uh, you'll have a chance to hear from the athletic director of Marshall University, Mike Hamrick, as Inside Herd Athletics takes place. At 6 o'clock, right here on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. And I'm sure Mr. Hamrick's going to have um, more thoughts on the passing of Marshall quarterback Michael Payton, one of the all-time greats of Thundering Herd Athletics. So uh, we'll have that for you coming up tonight. 6 o'clock right here on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. I want to welcome to the program now good friend of ours, WBKO Television's very own Chad Bishop, Good evening, sir. It's that time once again, Marshall and Western Kentucky, uh, renewing our friendship, right? No hostilities, our friendship. Uh, absolutely. I, I, I've i never met an unfriendly person in Huntington, West Virginia, one of my favorite Conference USA towns to go to. I think the, I think it's a mutual feeling. Um, it's, um, it's a fun getting together every time, um, and it definitely brings out the, uh, the energetic uh, fans. Uh, I want to throw this at you. I had a caller yesterday mad at Doc Holliday because Doc said that this was a good team. And not the fact that um, he was being nice about it, just the fact that he's, he's saying they're a good team with their record, the teams they've played, that he said they're a good team. So I'm going to ask you, you've covered Western Kentucky a while now. You know the team. Uh, is this a good team? Um. Not right now, but they have the potential to be so. Let's let's put it that way. Okay. I mean, I don't think you can be a good team with a one and three record and a loss to Maine, right? I mean, it just doesn't work that way. Now that being said, I mean they went to Ball State, they won last week, they played well. Uh, they got some very nice young looking talent on the offensive side of the ball, and their defense is very, very, very good. But as a collective unit, uh, would I call Western Kentucky a good team? Not not right now. I wouldn't. What's been the difference this year? Because Western Kentucky is usually one of those teams contending for the conference championship, and 
you would think that year in and year out, they're going to be one of the teams you've got to contend with. But right now, uh, it doesn't feel that way, even though some of the scores were close. But you, you look at the losses and you think, um, what has happened here? So I'm going to ask you that. What's happened? They're still in transition. Uh, it, it's Mike Sanford's second year. Uh, he's only coached 17 games at this point, and there, there's been a changing of the guard. You know, you had a Jeff Brahms kind of aerial assault, kind of high flying, high scoring offense, and uh, now you got Mike Sanford's system, which is more um, founded in, in the kind of a Boise State scheme, kind of a Stanford look. Um, there's been an offensive line change. Uh, you know, Mike White, Taywan Taylor, uh, Dion Yelder. Some of the great names of WKU offensive history are all gone out the window. And so there's a, a lot of new talent and a lot of new schemes and a lot of new plays. And not only that, I think there's a new locker room. You know, you had a bunch of guys who were recruited to play for Bayou Petrino and Jeff Rom and used to doing um, things a certain way. And Mike Sanford came in and, and changed a lot of that. I mean, we saw that even a couple weeks ago. Uh, a veteran running back, Marquez Drake, he quit the team. Uh, so there's still some some locker room transition and some on-the-field transition. So, um, like I said earlier, I, I still think Western Kentucky has the chance to be a good team. They're just not there right now, and I think that's what a lot of folks are seeing on the field. Do you think this program is equipped to, to finally um, make that comeback? I mean, because it's been a, a few short years. Marshall fans remember that this was that team coming in, and they were poised to be one of the big dogs of the league, and, and now they're in that, okay, are, are they going to come back? Are they going to come back? And do you feel like what you've seen so far, that there's a strong case that they're going to come back? Yeah, I do. I, I think that goes a little bit deeper than, um, you know, just on-the-field stuff. I think you start with athletic director uh, Todd Stewart. I mean, you know, football is kind of his, his go-to. It's kind of his baby. He would not allow it to struggle. That's why he was able to – to hire Bobby Petrino and, and have Jeff Brom in waiting and then went out and hired Mike Sanford. I mean, they're going to keep this thing a, a winning program. I don't think, you know, the fans got that taste of winning and, and they're not going to stand for anything more or, excuse me, anything less these days. They, they want WK football to be a winner. Um, so, and Mike Sanford is recruited extremely well and he's got this thing kind of in place to succeed. The question is, is will it? So I, I think Western Kentucky wants its football program to continue to be a major player in the league. Um, they know how, how much of an asset a great football team can be for a university and for an athletic department. Um, so I don't, I don't think the success that they had a couple of years ago was kind of a flash in the pan. I don't think they'll allow it to be that way. I think they'll do everything within their power to make uh, Western Kentucky continue to be right at the top of Conference USA's East Division. So my question to you is, uh, as I always ask it, uh, so is Western Kentucky uh, now a basketball school again, or are they still a football school? <laughs> I think the pendulum is, is swinging back toward basketball. Um, uh, you got Charles Bassey, a five-star center in town. Uh, you have Josh Anderson, a former four-star guard. You have Delano Banton, a four-star guard. Um, you, you won 27 games last year and went to the, the semifinals of the NIT. Um, that's really all anybody's really talking to me right now about is, is the basketball team and do they have a chance to, to make the NCAA tournament with Rick Stansberry now running the show. So, I think, uh, you know, it's kind of about a fever pitch right now, the basketball hysteria and, and the buzz. And, uh, you know, Western Kentucky's tradition and foundation really is in basketball. It just kind of went through a little bit of a down cycle there while the football team simultaneously was, was beating people and winning championships. And now I think it's, you know, like I said, the pendulum is kind of swinging back toward the hardwood.
I don't want to derail this too much, but um, yesterday was basketball practice for Marshall, and I'm sure everything's ramping up for you as well. Um, the buzz is uh, is there. I mean, I haven't felt this in a long while for Conference USA basketball. Do you feel that uh, with the Marshall, Western Kentucky, a few other teams that maybe this might be a turning point for Conference USA basketball? More people are now nationally paying attention to this league because of what Western was able to do in the postseason, the fact that Marshall – started getting some publicity and some visibility in the NCAA tournament, and the fact that maybe the selection committee overlooked the team in uh, Conference USA. I'm not going to name names, but you know which one I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, I hope so. I, I, you know, I, I hope that – it's my hope that Western and Marshall really beat up on really everyone else all year long. Uh, they beat up on each other and put themselves in position for – you know, one to win Conference USA and one to get in that large bid because obviously with John Elmore and company, you know, the, the herd has the talent to go out and beat some people. And then, you know, with what Western did last year and what they have returning, they have the schedule and the opportunity to go out and beat a whole bunch of people. So uh, I just think you got two of the better, you know, mid-major basketball teams in the entire country. And I think they're going to go out and show that. And it's, it's really up to the, the national pundits and the committees and everybody else to recognize that. You know, I don't know about the rest of the league. I think Middle Tennessee is going to kind of have a, a downturn with Kermit Davis exiting, um, you know, stage left. But the league is certainly in position to have two really, really good teams, you know, dare I say top 50 teams in the country. And um, if they go out and take care of business, there's no reason both Marshall and Western should be in the NCAA tournament come March. Okay, we've got a scenario now with the new scheduling rules, the new setup, that not only will Marshall and Western Kentucky play, they're required to there could be a potential third matchup, and then that could be followed by a potential fourth matchup. You're, you're loving should that, I, right? Should I go ahead and call my shot and say that that's probably going to happen this yeah, season? And go ahead. What's even, what's even crazier is that Western's traditional uh, rival middle, they can only play each other once. Uh, you know, they're only scheduled to play each other one time, and then, um, you know, then – uh, what was I going to say? Then you know, middle could you know kind of fall off the map and be in kind of that six to ten range, and they may not see each other again. So uh, it could be a really, really wild season in Conference USA and really flame uh, fan the flames of this new Western Marshall rivalry, which, as we've talked about in football and basketball, is budding. And I think it's going to happen because I don't really see many teams knocking off Marshall, and I'm extremely high on this Western team. I think they're going to be really, really good as well. Before we get back to football, does that rub a few fans wrong that they don't get to see middle as much anymore? It, it probably will. Um, I, I don't, you know, I know it, during the transition year when Western um, was in the Sun Belt and middle had moved on to Commerce USA, they didn't play at all in basketball. Um, and then I think there was a year there was maybe a away game when there wasn't a home game. And I think some of the, you know, traditional fans, some of the older fans it does, Maybe some of the younger generation probably don't care as much. But, um, yeah, I think it's one of those things where if, if there's some qualms with Conference USA, let's talk about football. Like, Why are Marshall and Western playing the first conference game when they've been playing every year on Thanksgiving all of a sudden? So I think it's just kind of little things like that. Like, you know, you have two really good rivals in Western and Middle who have had, you know, some real good success in basketball. You know, they need to be playing home and away. They need to be playing as much as possible to kind of highlight the league and highlight the rivalry. 
I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, when I was talking to players earlier this week, uh, one of the things we talked to them about was the fact that you're getting to see Western a lot early. Now, the younger kids, they don't have anything to base that off of, so they're just getting ready for the next conference game. They know it's a rivalry, so they've been told. Uh, the players who have been around a little while uh, know how much a big deal that is, and uh, even a couple were saying that, hey, it's great that this game's happening now because we don't have to wait to play them. Is uh, that what you're getting from your uh, side of things as well? It's been mixed. Uh, you know, Mike Mike Sanford, we talked to him this afternoon, and um, he, he bought into the rivalry and, and saying you could say sense there was a extra sense of energy, extra bounce in everyone's step this week at practice. And, um, you know, he, he mentioned the 2014 game, how big that was and kind of igniting this rivalry. But then, you know, I talked to linebacker Masai White, who's a veteran on the team, a senior, and he said, yeah, we're just treating it like another game. So I think you get mixed reactions no matter who you talk to. And you mentioned kind of the veterans versus the young guys. Western Kentucky's team uh, is so young, especially on the offensive side of the ball. A lot of those guys weren't around for 2014 and 2015 and 2016. So I'm sure they understand. I'm sure they see things on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram that, yeah, Marshall and Western aren't supposed to like each other. Uh, but I don't think you got two teams with just, you know, a, a ton of fifth-year seniors who remember, you know, the pregame scuffle and remember the two-point conversion and remember the 60-6 to game and remember last year. So uh, I think it's kind of mixed reactions at this point. Joining us on the program from WBKO Television, Chad Bishop. So I've got to ask, what's up with the um, 50 quarterbacks that Western Kentucky's throwing at teams this year? <laughs> I don't think that was the plan, but they, you know, they went into the season with Drew Eccles, and he was a redshirt senior. He played behind Brandon Dowdy. He played behind Mike White, uh, and they really rested, you know, their success this year on Drew Eccles being a redshirt senior and a quarterback who could run a little bit because that's what Mike Sanford wants in his office offense. This new system of offense he wants to run, and, and Drew Eccles even showed that he played really, really well against Wisconsin. But he hurt his shoulder against Wisconsin. Came out the next week against Maine and clearly was not 100%. And, and the theory is that's why Western kind of struggled against Maine is they couldn't do a lot with Drew Eccles that they wanted to, especially in the run game. So uh, Drew Eccles got hurt, uh, a, a separate injury against Maine. So he was out going into Louisville, and then the top started Stephen Duncan, who's a redshirt sophomore from South Carolina who played well, but he threw an interception on his fifth pass of the game. So he goes to the bench, and in comes Davis Shanley, a redshirt freshman from Georgia, uh, and he leads the tops to a 14 nothing lead, a lead that, of course, evaporated in a 20-17 to loss. So then Davis Shanley starts the game at Ball State. Are you following along? Because I will quiz you guys later on this. Uh, Davis Shanley starts at Ball State, and then he gets hurt at halftime, and Stephen Duncan comes in against Ball State and leads the tops to the first win of the year. So it's very, very strange to see a program play three different quarterbacks, have them all play well uh, in a situation now where you have no matter who plays, I think Western is confident in that all three's ability to uh, lead the offense, lead them to points, and lead them to wins. Our guest on the program, Chad Bishop from WBKO Television. And, uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to review the tape on this so I can answer those questions <laughs> again later. Um, I guess one thing that um, has come up this week is um, – the fact that Marshall's had some struggles at, on the running game, and Western is a team that might be susceptible to the running attack. Uh, what's the, the thought on, on your side of this where 
Marshall seems to have those issues, and you've got some young guys up front that maybe if Marshall's going to get healthy in the run game, this might be the game. Yeah, I think I think Western is not paying attention at all to what Marshall has done these first three weeks in terms of running struggles because I think they respect Tyler King and Keon Davis so much. Um, and I don't think Western is a team, like we mentioned earlier, they have the chance to be good, but they're not good now. So I don't think they're going to be in any sort of position to think they can go in and shut someone down. Uh, I talked to Clayton White, defensive coordinator, and some of the defensive guys this week. They've talked about how extremely important it is to stop Marshall's ground game because, you know, I think as you guys have seen, as, as Marshall's ground game is going, a lot like Western, if their ground game is going, it really sets up the entire offense. You know, I, I, I read Doc Holliday's quote this week that, you know, if, if you shut down the run game, it makes Marshall one-dimensional, and that makes things so difficult for an offense. So I, I think Western will be up for the challenge. I think they understand, you know, if Marshall's ground game gets going, it's going to be a long, long night uh, for that for that WKU defense, so uh, they they respect Tyler King and Keon Davis. I know um, and what those guys did to Western last year. They have their full attention. So it'll be interesting to see the matchup there. If, if Western can design some run packages, some run stop packages to kind of control that Marshall run game and and force Isaiah Green into into beating them. That was going to be my next question. Chad Bishop joins us in WBKO Television. You've got a redshirt freshman quarterback back there, and uh, NC State threw everything, including the kitchen stink. And I think a few of your articles as well at him. Um, that's how much they threw at him. Um, what's Western's <laughs> plan as far as, yeah, are they thinking, all right, we've got an opportunity to get after this kid? Or, again, is this, okay, we don't care what they've done these last few games. This is Marshall, so we're just going to approach this as Marshall. No, I, I think, you know, I talked to Masai White, the veteran linebacker, and he said, you know, he, he said there's a young kid back there. I mean, he came out and said it. They got a young quarterback, and Western's going to try to throw some blitzes at him, throw some different coverages at him. And I think another facet of this is Clayton White, defensive coordinator. He was at North Carolina State for a few years as their secondary defensive backs coach. Um, so I would guess he's probably texting those NC State guys and saying, hey, what what'd you guys do? What can I do to get in Isaiah Green's head? I think Western – you know, the strength of the Westerners team is the defense, and their secondary is very deep, and they use a, a nickelback to kind of play all over the field. Uh, so it'll be extremely interesting to see how Isaiah Green kind of diagnoses that as the game goes on and what Western does to adjust. You know, what are they, you know, sending five, six guys? Are they sitting back in coverage? Are they uh, mixing things up to try to confuse the young quarterback? And, you know, that's one of my keys to, my, to the game, which young quarterback, whether it's, Isaiah Green or Stephen Duncan for Western, which young quarterback steps up and makes enough plays to, to lead his team to victory? Because you got two young quarterbacks playing on Saturday, which means that anything probably can and will happen. Our guest, Chad Bishop, WBKO-TV. And, of course, uh, you can follow him on Twitter. It's uh, still uh, Mr. Chad Bishop, one of the best in Conference USA. So uh, I recommend everyone on Twitter following him. And uh, uh, this is going to be fun. We're going to see more of you here in basketball season. More. Lots more. I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait. Four times. Maybe two back here in Huntington, or maybe two at your place. That's the fun thing about this. So we don't know. We have no idea until we know. <laughs> hey, well, uh, let's go ahead and count on the meeting in Frisco, Texas, for sure. Because okay. I think, again, two, two of the best teams at Conference USA, two of the best uh, mid-major rising programs in the country. And if all goes well, they will both win 25 some odd games and then play each other for a for a championship and, and both be at large esque teams who will who will put on a show for all of us. Chad Bishop, WBKO Television. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. All right. We'll see ya. It's Chad Bishop.
We're going to come back from break. I've got a couple of sound bites from uh, basketball practice. We'll hear from Jared West, uh, Tavion Kinsey. Later on, uh, we're going to try to get to Jason Toy. Um, he was uh, a member and friend of uh, 1AA championship quarterback Michael Payton. We'll talk to him later on the program as well. This is The Drive, ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. You're listening to The Drive with Paul Swan on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Welcome back to the Thursday edition, The Drive on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. We are presented by Belltown Hearing Aid Center. Basketball has begun. Practice is underway across the country. And, of course, Marshall opening up yesterday, and that means a lot of excitement for Thundering Herd basketball. And I had a chance to to go to practice, talk to some of the guys, kind of get a a feel for uh, how they're looking, how they're feeling. And Jared West was uh, one of the guys to get to catch up with. And he was asked the question, what did winning last year do for you? And he was uh, pretty candid about it. Yeah, I thought last year was a really fun year. It was different because uh, the expectation coming into the season was not, well, for outsiders, was not for what we accomplished, you know. And I think it was great for us to be able to exceed all those expectations and, uh, you know, make history in this program. I thought that was good for us, the team, this whole community, the coaches. And, um, you know, I think that's why the expectations right now are so high for us. And I think that those are very deserving, and we're going to be excited for that. And, um, you know, the video board and all that, Bahamas trip, you know, the top 25 in the magazine, that's all great. And um, we just got to continue to work hard and get better. Now, with all the expectations, it was asked of Jared, is there any extra pressure now that everyone knows who Marshall is? Um, it is, but I think it's something that, that I can enjoy the week, you know, can enjoy and take that as a challenge. I think that's fun, you know, going into opposing teams, gyms, knowing who we are now, that they got to, you know, elevate their game, bring their A game and stuff like that. And then also when they come in here, they're going to give us their best shot to beat us in our home gym. So I think that's, a, I think that's good for us. Now, one thing that Danny's been able to do, Coach D'Antoni, is uh, bring in some young guys. And so Jared was asked, hey, how much have the young guys really helped? Well, I think all the young guys came in, and I thought they did a great job. You know, I thought they were competing. They were playing hard. They were doing what they were supposed to do. You know, um, Tavion, Jeremy, Cam, Mike, you know, even Iron now being in the flow for the first time for a whole, you know, practice and all that. I think – I think they all did a great job. I think the Bahamas trip was good for all of us, especially them being able to bond with us, the coaches, you know, meeting people and stuff like that. I thought that, was, and just being able to play with us, I thought that was great. Now, one of the young guys on the roster, Tavion Kinsey, and he wasn't here for all the excitement that took place last season, but he's here now, and he knows about what happened. Of course, he's been talking to the guys; he's uh, feeling the buzz. So, he was asked, "Hey." Talk about the excitement of this season. Definitely, I'm very excited just coming into a team just like this, being ranked now in like 25 in the country. We, we still going to put in work, definitely. But coming into these guys, they welcomed me in and all the other freshmen and just they taught us over the summer uh, the expectations that we need to come in and live up to. So I think it's going to be a real good time. It's going to be fun. And a follow-up to that question was, did the veterans push you to where you need to be? The veterans set a great example of pushing us and, and making sure we're, we're on time and time management. De- definitely just 
a, a lot of things outside of basketball also just like life things as well. Now, one of the things that really excites Tavion is Dan D'Antoni's ability to develop players, and that was a question to him, the fact that a lot of guys have come in, and now there's some pro prospects here on this team. And so the question was, is Dan's ability to develop players part of what excites you? That's what, that's what really brung me here. Like, I, took, I didn't even take a full visit here, but just coming here just for like the couple of hours I did and meeting him, definitely seeing that how he changed people's game and got people to bigger levels that they wanted to, I felt like he can do that for me. And finally, Tavion was asked, hey, what's the most part of being a part of Dan D'Antoni's system? Most fun part is he lets us play our games. No shot is a bad shot with him. Like, as long as you take the shot, that's, it's a good shot. So just hearing that, having the confidence that all these coaches have in us, that it, it definitely helps a lot. All right, Tavion Kinsey, Marshall Basketball. We're going to take a very quick break, come back. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, I'm probably not going to have time for Jason Toy, so we're going to talk to him hopefully tomorrow about Michael Payton's passing. You're listening to The Drive, presented by Belltone Hearing Aid Center on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Now, back to The Drive with Paul Swan on ESPN 94.1 FM. Pushing it right to the wire. That's going to do it for this edition of The Drive, presented by Belltone Hearing Aid Center. I um, want to thank my guest, Chad Bishop from WBKO Television, for joining me today on the program. Also, Joe Bartle from Rotal Wire. Uh, with apologies to Jason Toy, we'll get him on tomorrow. My producer today is Gabriel Sellards. I appreciate him for taking good care of me today. Coming up next, it's going to be Inside Herd Athletics with Marshall University Athletic Director Mike Hamrick, and I'm sure he'll have more on the passing of Marshall quarterback greatest of all time or among the greatest of all time, Michael Payton passing away at the age of 48. That's going to do it for this edition. Thanks to all those people I just mentioned. My name is Paul Swan, and you've been listening to The Drive here on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Good night, everyone. WRBC Huntington, W227BS Huntington, ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Huntington Sports Station.